0: Well, it's great to see everybody here today. Welcome to Crossroads. I'm Dennis. Glad to be with you today. If you're here on the atrium, watching online, glad that you're here. Uh, before I start my talk, I just want to mention our Finishing Strong offering. This last uh, Monday night when we finished our sixth Christmas Eve service, I was talking to John actually just briefly, and we just thought about what an opportunity we have as a church. As Carolina mentioned, services were packed. We had 3,000 people here. For our Christmas Eve services, which is awesome. And another 300 joining us online. And I thought, what an opportunity that we have as a church going into 2019. You know, these people, they've come at least once. And 2019 could be the breakout year for many of them. Could be a year of growth, a year of healing, a year of connectedness, a year of maybe even connecting to God in a significant way for the very first time. And And I thought, what an opportunity we have as a church going forward in 2019. And you all know what it takes to make that happen. It takes resources. It takes a facility. It takes staff. It takes all of us. It takes the Holy Spirit. It takes money. It does. You all know that. Not surprised. And uh, so as we end this year, we're encouraging everybody to consider giving an end of the year. We call it Finishing Strong Offering through Crossroads because there's a lot of uncertainty out there, isn't there? There's a lot of economic uncertainty. We know that in the last few weeks. But here's a certainty. Jesus said, I'm gonna build my church. That's what he said. And he means it, and he's gonna do it, and he's gonna do it through us in this coming year. So I don't even hesitate or apologize to say, would you consider giving an end-of-the-year gift to Crossroads over and above your normal giving? And you can do it online. There's a flyer in your program called Finishing Strong. You can bring it by the office. We'll be open tomorrow, the 31st, till four o'clock. So if you wanna do that, we would really appreciate it. And you can, you can be confident that we're gonna use that money to build the church in this coming year. We have some big plans, so I hope that you'll uh, consider that uh, with you and your family. All right, this woman uh, raised 12 children, but she never started until she was 31 when she got married. And she was telling her pastor one day, you know, I never really worried about the marriage thing. she said, I I just left that completely up to God. She said, but I did one thing. She said, every night before I go to bed, I would hang a pair of men's pants at the foot of her bed. And she'd pray this prayer. Father in heaven, hear my prayer and grant me if you can. I've hung a pair of trousers here. Please fill them with a man. (laughs) Well, the pastor told that story in church one day and everybody got a big kick out of it. He noticed a father with his teenage son sitting out there. And the father goes very uh, amused by the story, but the teenage son seemed rather preoccupied. Well, apparently they never went, they didn't tell the mom at home because a couple weeks later, she wrote a letter to the pastor saying this, dear pastor, I was wondering if I should be worried about something. It has to do with our son. For the past two weeks, I've noticed that before he goes to sleep at night, he hangs a woman's bikini over the foot of his bed. Should I be concerned? Well, good news of great joy comes in all kinds of packages, doesn't it? And today we're ending our Christmas Is series talking about joy. As I've thought about this, I thought, I think joy is one of the very top themes of the entire Bible. I mean, think about Genesis 1. All right, let's go clear back there. God creates, and he says, this is good. And I don't mean to be irreverent here, But I think the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, after every time he said, declared something good, they did one of these end zone dances like you see in football these days when they score a touchdown. I think after every time God said good, that's what they were doing. And then on the day that he created human beings, us, he said, oh, that is very, very good. And it's like the Super Bowl of Super Bowls, like the Lombardi Trophy's been lifted and they're kissing, only they're not kissing the trophy. They're bending down and kissing us. Euphoria of Genesis 1 lasts about one page. And then everything goes sideways and it all gets messed up. But that heartbeat of joy, that pulse of joy, the desire of God and the desire of human beings pulses and beats through every story, every person, every book in the Bible. Even up to the, uh, C.S. Lewis quoted this. He said, the central story of my life is an insatiable desire, he says, I call it joy, which must be sharply distinguished both from happiness and pleasure. Anyone who's experienced joy will want it again. I doubt whether anyone who has tasted it would ever exchange it for all the pleasures of the world. I mean, think about this. Isn't joy, finding, obtaining, keeping joy, one of the very most basic heartbeats of your life? It was even of Jesus. When Jesus came, the public announcement of his his birth, the angels make to shepherds, and what do they say, Luke 2.10? Don't be afraid, I bring you good news that will what? Cause great joy for all the people. There was great joy when Jesus was born. And it pulses through the life of Jesus so that even at the point when Jesus is about to die, on the night before he's gonna die, Jesus told his closest friends, it's in John 16, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will, what? Ever, ever take away your joy. Jesus says that the life we're gonna experience is similar to a woman giving birth and that the joy of giving life is gonna outweigh the pain of giving birth. What starts in pain can end in joy. Really? Is that true? How many of you were there at the birth of a baby? Yeah, most of us, right? I remember I was there at the very first birth of one of our first, our our first baby. And uh, we took these classes, they still offer them. We took the particular one called Lamaze. And if you take that class, yeah, I took it and I I think I flunked it. Um, But this was my experience in that class. First of all, they say, we wanna avoid using the word pain. Use the word some discomfort instead, I thought, okay, I can do that. And then they said, oftentimes there's a bit of a mind game involved when they're experiencing extreme discomfort. You try to help them find themselves in a very comfortable place, like picture a comfortable place. So there's this mind game going on. And most of the class focused on breathing. And I thought I was gonna get to do something important You know, as the birthing coach of my wife. And I thought, I'm gonna try to help her breathe. I think she's actually been doing that like all of her life. And, and I'm gonna try to, uh, that sort of breathing in a certain way is gonna take away the pain uh, while she tries to get something about the size of a frozen turkey out of her body. I'm doing that. So the big day comes and we're in the hospital and it's dragging on and on. Some of you have experienced hours and hours of labor and I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm the coach. I mean, I'm there, I'm right, I'm right by her side and I'm really getting into this and, and uh, my, my wife has a curved tailbone so that when the baby's head comes down, it gets stuck right there. And she said when that baby's head began to put pressure on that nerve that runs right down her spine, she says it's like somebody took hold of a raw nerve with a pair of vise grips. She says that's what it felt like. And so I'm I'm coaching. I mean, I'm telling her, "Breathe. Breathe. Breathe with me. This is and it's not working." And I tell her, "Are you feeling some discomfort?" <laughs> and I say and I soothe her and and I say, "I want you to Picture this beautiful place, this mountain meadow, and I want you to go there with me. And through gritted teeth, she looks at me and she says, I have a place for you to go to. It's really hot, and it goes on forever and ever. You go there. And I thought, what kind of a Christian attitude is that? I mean, this coaching thing is not easy, I guarantee you. There's some pain involved for dads in birthing. I mean, my hands were sore from massaging. I was leaning over that bed for hours at a time. I never complained, not once. There's pain in childbirth, I'll guarantee you. And I think dads, those of you who are dads, you understand what I'm talking about here, right? Don't, you moms, don't throw any tomatoes here. Well, Jesus uses this, this birth metaphor to remind us that in this life, there's gonna be plenty of pain and joy they go together but the joy of giving life will far outweigh the pain of giving birth and then jesus demonstrates this right after he speaks this to his closest friends he's arrested he's brutally tortured he's crucified on a cross and he and three he's put in a tomb and three days later what happens life emerges brand new resurrection life And before Jesus went there, he says, Hebrews 12, two says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. What was the joy set before Jesus that was worth the enduring the cross? And I think we all have to admit the pain that Jesus experienced on the cross is something like none of us ever have or ever will experience. We've never taken the sin of the world onto us and into our soul and extinguished it. And here's the joy that was set before Jesus in John fifteen eleven. He says, I've told you all this, what's gonna happen to me? So that, what? My joy would be in you and that your joy would be, what? Full, full. Jesus gets great joy out of seeing us have joy and live out of that in our entire life, even in the midst of life that is gonna involve plenty of grief and pain. Years ago, a Christian psychologist named Frank Lake was studying these people who were very devoted followers of Christ. They went to very difficult places like India and spent years and years of their life trying to introduce people there to this love and help them experience this kind of joy that God wants us to have. And they faced a lot of opposition and hostility. And within a couple of years, they got so discouraged and down, many of them became bitter and cynical and burned out. And Dr. Lake got together with other Christian leaders and, and they began to read the biographies of Jesus over and over again. And they realized Jesus probably faced more opposition than any person who ever has. And yet his joy level never seemed to drop. Jesus had this ongoing sense. He never got cynical. He never got discouraged, never dropped out, never lost his joy. And as they reflected on the life of Jesus, they discovered what they called the dynamic cycle operating in Jesus' life. A way of living where the level of joy remained high. And two other guys named Trevor Hudson and Jerry Haas took that idea and put it in this brilliant book called The Cycle of Grace. And it's a way of living that allows us to keep the level of joy in our lives at a high level. And so here's the question. As we end 2018 and go into 2019, is there room in your life for more joy? Would you say, you know, Dennis... I could, there is room in my life for more joy. And if that's you, then listen up, because I'm gonna talk about this cycle of grace. And if we get this and we live this out, I'll guarantee the joy factor of our life is gonna go up. And so there are four movements in the cycle of grace. And the first movement is called acceptance. And it's the kind of acceptance where we feel totally known, totally valued and totally loved. And one of the defining moments of Jesus' life was uh, when, he, when he was baptized and he's coming up out of the waters of baptism and the voice of the father comes right out of the sky and says in Mark one11 you're my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. I mean, this is right at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. He hasn't really accomplished much that's impacted human history yet. And right at this moment, God says, I want Jesus to know something. I want Jesus to know that he's known, that he's loved, and I'm proud of him, and I accept him. Imagine the impact on Jesus at this moment. I mean, you talk about delight. You talk about feeling valued. You talk about joy. Identity and acceptance, must come first before anything else, before we we achieve anything, before we accomplish anything. We have to start with acceptance. And if we get this wrong, we set ourselves up for burnout. And after Jesus hears that voice, he becomes immersed in a very intense life, an onslaught of demonic forces, both against him personally and through people. He taught on hillsides in the temple He healed people. He hung out day after day with a group of people who never seemed to quite get it. And when the opposition was the most intense, when Jesus had every reason to feel discouraged, I think in the back of his mind, Jesus always went to, I remember that moment when God said, I love you. I value you. I'm proud of you. And he hears that voice again. It's recorded right before he goes to Jerusalem to be crucified He hears that voice again, this is in Mark 9, 7, where, where the voice comes and says, this is my son whom I love. We don't know how many times Jesus heard this voice, but at critical moments of his life, just before he's about to enter something very difficult, before he's crucified, before he starts his public ministry, God is right there saying to Jesus very explicitly, hey, I love you. I value you. I'm proud of your life. A number of years ago, I was going through a very difficult time, mostly just personally for me, and I was up in the middle of the night just mulling over things, and I was reading this book by John Eldridge. And in one of the chapters, he mentions that one of the ways that God affirmed his love for him, John Eldridge, was he would send him heart-shaped objects he said, like, I'd be sitting there and all of a sudden a heart-shaped cloud would float by. He said, "Or oh, I'd look down and on my, my jeans, there would be a heart-shaped coffee stain. Or he said, I'd be walking along the sidewalk and there'd be a little tiny heart-shaped rock. And he said, every time I saw that, I was like God's direct message to him. I love you. When I read that, I thought, I just actually prayed. I go, God, you've never, never sent me any heart-shaped anything. Well, the very next day, we decide we're gonna go cut a couple Christmas trees. And so we head up into the mountains, up Risk Canyon. We went to a place. We walked out into the forest place we'd never been before. And uh, we cut a couple trees. And it's snowy up there. And we're trudging back. And I'm hauling our tree. And my wife is walking behind me with our daughter hauling another tree. And I'm just kind of trudging along. And, and all of a sudden, my wife goes, hey, Dennis. Dennis, did you see this? I oh, see what. You know, so I put down my tree. And I walk back. And she goes, look at this. And there, this is what I saw. And it's a big one. Show the next picture. This is no small rock. I've got a picture with me. And when I saw that, as my friend from Montana says, is it odd or is it God? In that moment, it's like God was saying to me, you want a heart-shaped rock, Dennis? Before the creation of, when I created the world, I put this heart here. I wanted you to see it. And today I directed you up here and you saw it. And if you ever wonder if I love you, this is no coffee stain. This is a rock the size of you, a heart-shaped rock. And when I saw it, I, my initial response was just to laugh. I thought, this is like God. You want a heart-shaped rock, Dennis? Okay, here you go. You missed it, but your wife didn't. Don't miss it again. Don't miss it again. Have you ever experienced that kind of acceptance, embrace of God? And I'm not talking about God so loved the world kind of love. We know that. But the kind says, Linda, God says, I love you. Paul, Mark, Tony, Jennifer, Lisa, I love you. You, you. And that's where it starts. That's where the cycle of grace starts. Dallas World defines joy this way. Let's put that up and I want us to read this together. Joy is, let's read it together out loud. Joy is not pleasure, a mere sensation, but a constant, a pervasive and constant sense of well-being. A pervasive and constant sense of well-being. Pleasure comes and goes. It's temporary, but joy, this kind of joy is this deep, bright, soul-level gladness that settles inside that's immovable, that I'm valued, that I'm loved by the God of the universe, and that everything else, no matter what else happens, it's gonna be okay. Can you get joy from drinking A Baptist church would know how to answer this question. Let me ask it a different way. Can massive amounts of alcohol be taken every day provide a pervasive and constant sense of well-being? No. Can a high-paying job provide a pervasive and constant sense of well-being? Can beauty, good looks, good grades, can applause or achievement or education or even human relationships or technology or that Christmas present you so wanted, can it provide an ongoing pervasive sense of well-being what is the only thing that can provide that level of joy in our lives no matter what happens only God only the grace of God only the acceptance approval and personal experience of God in our lives you have that have you had that That's what he wants for all of us He wants us to experience that And that's the first movement In the cycle of grace And when that starts to get going in our life Then comes the next movement Which is sustenance Sustenance Do you think Jesus heard that voice of God Every day of his life I don't think so I don't think so Then how did he maintain this level of joy Every single day And how could he have that same, I think at times, unreasonably high expectation that we could experience full joy as well? Well, on the human level, God created our bodies to need food and water and sunshine and clothes in order for us to survive. I mean, we don't have to do much work to get the air that God provides for us, but we have to be pretty intentional about food. And some of you have been very intentional about food over the last couple of weeks, I can tell. (laughs) And we have to be very intentional about clothing in Colorado or we'll freeze to death, right? So it's the same way in the cycle of grace. While God's acceptance comes to us as sheer gift, we begin to participate in this movement of sustenance. We begin to participate in the joy level of our lives. Just like the production of food combines air and sun, And water that God provides? We have a part in it, don't we? We have to pick it. We have to prepare it. We get to eat it, all of that. So that involves God's part and our part. There was no one more closely connected to God than Jesus. But if we take a look at his life, read the biographies, the depth of his connection to God was less about hearing voices from heaven and a lot more about these simple daily habits of the heart. We call those spiritual practices. And every day Jesus did things to replenish his spirit, things that he could do to stay focused and inspired and motivated. John or Luke 5, 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and what? Prayed. Often withdrew. Prayer was food for Jesus' soul and he did it often. Luke four sixteen. on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue as was his custom. It was a habit of Jesus. I don't think he missed this much. Every week, he said, it's, it nourishes my soul to be in church. Jesus had a small group, close friend that shared his life, the twelve and the three. And I think oftentimes we underestimate the sustaining power of close friends in Jesus' life. Jesus read and thought deeply about the Bible. He enjoyed creation, often commenting on something he observed, like farmers or lilies or birds or animals. We see him taking walks by lakes, up on mountains, in gardens. Jesus knew the value of rest and slept. I mean, Jesus could sleep in a boat that was sinking. I mean, don't disturb me, right? Jesus spent time with kids. He loved kids, kids loved him. Kids can bring amazing joy in your life, can't they? pain, but joy, joy. This last week we got to be with all of our grandkids and I was just sitting upstairs one night and they were giggling and laughing, carrying on and it just made me giggle and laugh. And I mean, my joy level this week is pretty high because my kids, my grandkids have all been with me. They They just do, they just bring life. These things fill Jesus up. And here's one you might not think about. Jesus spent a lot of time at parties. And oftentimes with the kind of people that maybe some people wouldn't invite to their parties. He was accused of being a glutton. To eat too much. Accused of being a drunkard. A friend of sinners. Jesus got great joy out of being there. And we're going to have to find ways to replenish our spirit every day. We, these are, we, we participate in sustaining the joy level of our lives. It's the, think about the gas gauge of your car. Or anybody has a car, has a gas gauge. And these days, you know, there's actually a little message. When you start to run out of gas, it has a, says, hey, you have, you know, 42 miles until you're out of gas. Um, I don't know about you, um, but some people grow up in families or are in families where every time you get in the car, your spouse or your kids have left the car on empty, any of you in that cut? Don't raise your hands. All right. Any of you in that kind of family? A, a guy I know got a text message from his wife one day, and she'd taken a picture of that little message. It says, "You have zero miles till your car runs out of gas." She was proud of driving a car on empty. She thought that was a cool thing. Well, what, a, what if you had a joy gauge in your life right now? Where would it read? Quarter? Half? Three quarters, where are you? Jesus said, I want the joy gauge of your life to be over-tending towards full. So where is the joy of your life today? No one, not even Jesus, who heard that powerful voice of God could maintain the high level of joy in his life without these regular daily sustaining habits. And if your joy level is running low or half or below half, this might be one of the places to begin to look. And if you're wondering what where do we we teach this in, in our next step classes, 101, 201. We teach these some of these spiritual habits. And if you've not signed up for those, we're doing one at the end of January. I encourage you, that would be something great to do in 2019. So a little recap. So the cycle of grace starts with. I'm loved and valued child of God. And when I start living out of this, I begin to sustain that life. I begin to, that, that God is good in my life. And I begin to live that out and I develop some sustaining practices. Then Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to begin to live a life of significance. I want you to begin to make a difference. And if you look at the word significance, there's the word sign in it. He says, I want your life to be a sign to other people of the joy that's in your own life. Jesus said, I want you to have an impact in the world. I was watching Lord of the Rings, interview, this was years ago with Billy Boyd, who played Pippin in that movie trilogy. It took him four years to film it. And this was at the end of it. And he, he quoted this. He said, I liked getting up every day knowing that my life was a part of a big story, something significant, something that matters. If somebody asked you, what on earth are you here for? Could you answer? What would your answer be? Jesus was crystal clear on this one. He said in John 14, six, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. In other places, I'm the bread of life. I'm the good shepherd, I'm the vine. You will find life in me. And then he said, as our founding pastor John Smith said, at the end of every Christmas service when we held up that light, and we blew out the candle. He says, you now are the light of the world. I want you to take that light into the dark crevices of this planet, of your family, of your community, and I want you to bring light. I want you to be the salt that seasons and preserves. He says, this is what I have for you, to make a difference in your world. You are exactly who God made you to be, not what someone else thinks you should be. Some of you are encouragers. I mean, your job might be in sales or teaching, but your significance is to encourage. My wife told me about a saleswoman that she met this past week at a store. She was very good at it. And my wife said, "Uh, you must love sales. And she goes, no, I love people. And I thought, there you go. This woman understands that her significance comes from loving people. Maybe you're a teacher. There's nothing you enjoy more than helping someone understand or learn something that they didn't know or understand before. Some of you are in the medical profession, the helping trades. You wanna, your commitment is, God's put me on this planet to heal people and I'm gonna do that with all I have. Some of you work in the trades with things like wood and sheetrock and concrete and electricity. You build places of safety and warmth and practicality that we all enjoy. Some of you have the gift of giving and you give time and money and attention. Some of you are artists and you bring truth and healing and inspiration to what it is that you create or design or paint or dance or draw or write. And there's a core part of you that just has to do that. It's God saying to you, I want you to make a difference in the world. I've created you for this. And this is the movement where all of this that's been pouring into our lives now begins to pour out of our lives. All this joy that God is creating in us and we participate in, he says, now I want you to pass it on. I want you to give it away into other people's lives. And you have to do this. And if you're going, I don't, I don't really have clarity about that in my life, here's a couple things you could do first. You can get together a couple of good friends who know you and ask them, what, what do you see in my life? What are the themes of my life? Or you'd say, you know, I think God put you on the planet to do those kinds of things. To express this part of how God wants you to bring joy into the world. This is this is your part. This is your part. If you want some clarity about that, get a couple friends together. There's a book we have in the bookstore called What on Earth Am I Here for? You could pick that up. It's very helpful. Uh, Take the next step classes 301 and 401. We talk specifically about this question in those classes. So if you've never done that, I encourage you to do that. Um, The next one's at the end of January. So we get all this going in our lives. We get God's acceptance, His sustenance. We give the significance. And then the next thing happens. We begin to have achievement. We accomplish things in our lives. And that's God's design for us as well. This is where the action is. It's what we accomplish. It's called fruit. And Jesus had a lot of it. He taught. He healed. He explained. He built into people. He led. He instilled confidence. He encouraged. He put a team together. He confronted. He brought people in. He called people to a place of decision. He achieved more than any other person has. In the history of the world, and then he said this: "If you remain in me, this is John 15. If you remain in me and I in you, you will what? Bear much fruit. That's this: bear fruit." Jesus probably lived in the bullseye of conflict more than any other person. He faced more opposition, more misunderstanding, more assault, and yet he never let it get him down. Never stepped. It never stopped him. He was never cynical bitter, burned out. I mean, one day he heals 10 lepers. Only one comes back to say thank you. Jesus could have said, ah, I feel so underappreciated. I'm never gonna heal another leper. Another time when he's coming to Mary and Martha's house when their brother Lazarus had died, Mary, his good friend, runs out of the house and blames Jesus. Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus didn't let that stop him. Didn't let it get to him. In fact, Jesus even said in John 14, 12, verily, truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will what? Do even greater things than these. Think about this for 2019. Think about this verse right here. What is that thing that Jesus said? You're gonna do that and it's greater than what I've done. You're gonna do it, but you're gonna do it greater than I've done. Probably means you're gonna need to do it together. Like maybe it's a church, like maybe it's Crossroads. What is God's dream for Crossroads for 2019? And if it doesn't include some things that Jesus would go, oh, that's, that's more than I could have done, more than I would have done. Then your dreams are too small. And my dreams are too small. In fact, during that next series, Fresh, what a great way to start 2019. And one of the weekends, we're gonna talk about Dreams. How's the joy level in your life? Let me land the plane here. Here's how we see the cycle of grace come full circle. We experience pure grace. God comes, says to I love you. I value you. Before you ever do anything in the world, make an impact of your life, know that I know you and I love you. And as we begin to develop some sustaining joy practices in our lives, the joy begins to flow in us and we participate in that. And then we, be, we begin to spread joy to the people around us. We have some significance in the world. And we begin to accomplish some things alone, individually, or even together. And we begin to feel some sense of, that's good. That's good. We do the end zone dance. We kiss the Lombardi trophy every once in a while. Every Christmas, we get a kiss the Lombardi trophy. We do it together because God used us in a powerful way in thousands and thousands of people's lives. And this doesn't go back to here, though. This goes up to God. He says, that's my life. And if you're going, you know what? I get this, but the joy level of my life, it just fluctuates up and down and up and down. And here's why. is because sometimes we don't understand this cycle. We start here. Hey, I'm gonna accomplish something with my life. And we set out to do it, and we accomplish some things, and we begin to go, you know what? Um, my life matters because I'm doing this. And we think, oh, these things are gonna sustain my life. I just need to do more of them. And I get my acceptance from here. And we begin to go around this way. It's called the cycle of works. You know what? And that works great until something right here fails. He leaves, she leaves. You get a divorce. This project that you had invested in and given your time to, didn't work out like you'd hoped. Your beauty fades in your life. You lose your health. You get fired. They hire somebody else who's better at this than you. And so what happens? You've been getting your significance and your sustenance from this. Well, all of a sudden it begins to fluctuate and go up and down and your acceptance. And so what do you do? You try it. Well, then I gotta do this more and more and more. And we begin to do this and we begin to do this way. That is a formula for burnout, So where are you this weekend? Ending 2018, starting 2019. Where are you? Are you, have you experienced this? Are you developing some sustaining practices? Are you making a difference in the world? Do you have a sense of, with God's help, we've been able to accomplish, I've been able to accomplish some very important things. Because when we do it this way, we'll hear Jesus whisper in our ear at the end of every day, I love you. I know you. Well, well done. And we're going to end our service and we're going to end 2018 together as a church by celebrating communion together. Perfect way. Perfect reminder of this in our life. And here's how we're going to do it. The bands are going to come up right now and the ushers are our communion hosts are getting ready and uh, there's gonna be four stations across the front here, one in the atrium if you're sitting out there. and um, Just anytime time, we're gonna sing a song together, a worship song, and anytime during that song, you can just come up, get out of your chair, come forward, take the bread, which is all gluten-free, dip it in the cup, and, and just allow God to say whatever he wants to say to you from here. You might need to hear Jesus go, I love you. I don't just love the world, I love you. This is one of the sustaining practices, celebrating communion together. It sustains our joy. We get to do it together. And the significance? Well, that's what's gonna happen when you leave here. So let's celebrate communion together, invite our communion hosts to come up.